Hey y'all, Marseille Martin here with a little Tampax story. One time I went on vacation in the Bahamas with some friends, and of course I got my period. I didn't want anything to stop me from living my best life on my trip. So I was like, why not be brave and try Tampax? Before that, I really just thought tampons were for adults, and I definitely thought they'd be uncomfortable. Guess what, y'all? They really aren't. It might take a few tries, but once it's in right, you shouldn't feel it, which is great. For a better way to period, just add Tampax. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everybody. It's Jonathan speaking, um, sitting in my closet. I was sitting in this closet last night uh, for a couple of hours trying to figure out what to say and then just scrapping everything because uh, I don't know what to say. And usually... You know, the way that we've been doing these check-ins, Stevie, Kalila, and I, we've been trying to talk from our own experience because that's all we could do. But right now, it, it just doesn't feel like what needs to be heard. I can't speak to the experience or the, the pain that the black community is going through right now. Uh, but what I do feel like I could say is that the murder of George Floyd is an outrage that the system that props up this kind of behavior, these sorts of actions, is sick. And I don't know what's going to come next, but I know that what came before cannot stand. I live in the Longfellow neighborhood of Minneapolis, and I went out walking on the weekend, and the neighborhood was still smoldering. I feel like everything that's happening right now is necessary, and I don't I don't even know in what way, but I have I have faith in that. Um, before all of this started, before the events of this past week, we'd planned an episode about teachers. We were uh, thinking a lot about teachers during the quarantine, about students missing their teachers, teachers missing their students. And we have today two stories from two different women, coincidentally, both looking for their first grade teachers. And I don't know what they have to say about this moment, if anything. But if you'd like, you could listen to them. And I hope they bring you um, some feeling of community, of comfort, um, or just maybe a respite. And if you want to read some of the things that we've been reading right now, we're going to also include some links in our show notes to some thoughtful pieces that, uh, that have spoken to us and might be worth reading right now. Uh, so here's our show. Hello? Stevie? Hey. Hey, let me uh, get Kalila on the line. Hello? Kalila? Yeah, hi. Hey. Hey. Hi. This week, we have two stories about two women who are both searching for their first grade teachers. Mm -hmm. So so the, uh, the first story is um, from my friend Amber, who from day one was set apart from the other kids that she went to school with. So I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. I'm third generation Jehovah's Witness. And 
The religion's kind of changed over the years, but there's one common theme, and that is that the world is ending any minute. Um, and in order to secure your own salvation, you have to preach and co- try to convert others and tell them, hey, you better convert to be a Jehovah's Witness before it's too late because you're going to die. And what happens if you convert and you don't die? Yeah, and then what happens after Armageddon is that paradise will come to earth. We'll all be walking around in, like, sacks, burlap sacks, like, you know, and we'll be cuddling pandas and the tigers won't eat us and everyone's happy. But, you know, eternal life requires sacrifices. Mm -hmm. So while her classmates were attending birthday parties and watching cartoons and being kids, Amber was preaching door to door. And as a kid, sometimes you knocked on the door of someone you went to school with, and that was just the peak mortification. There were times where we fake knocked because we knew the kid lived there. I didn't live in a very big area. What, What does it mean to fake knock? Some people called it the Bible knock. So you hold the Bible up to the door, and then you knock on the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, it's a very complicated thing, because as a Jehovah's Witness, I really believed in it. And so I knew that this was how we had to be. You just accept that you were different. But in spite of being different, Amber really loved school, Mm -hmm. which brings us to Mrs. Mosin. My first grade teacher, her name was Mrs. Mosin. Um... I just think she was one of those people that's a very good teacher. I was really shy as a kid, and I think in a lot of classes I was in, teachers overlooked me, and I was not the type of kid that would, you know, be really eager and put up my hand and such. And she seemed to believe in me. That was important. I mean, that kind of stayed with me. I don't know, maybe she was kind of like a mother figure. I don't know, because my relationship with my own mom was not very close. Yeah. And she had a son around my age, and she always used to say that she wanted— her son to marry me when we grew up. Amber did grow up. She graduated high school. And one day, soon after graduating, Amber and her mom were in the neighborhood of her old elementary school. So they decided to stop by to see Mrs. Mosin. She was still in the same classroom and still teaching. And she was so thrilled to see me. And then she asked me, what college are you going to go to now that you've graduated high school? And I told her, oh, well, I'm not going to college, actually. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses, we believe that we need to share the good news of what we know. So um, I'm going to be a full-time preacher. You know, I'm going to be—it's like a missionary of sorts. And I remember that her face just—she looked stunned and— Because because she thought—she expected more. Yeah. Yeah. And then sadness, like— and it just, the look crossed her face just for a second. Maybe she just did something in her eye. I don't know. But I took, I, when I saw that look, I was like, oh, it kind of struck me that there, like she was really, really sad. I think that there's these moments through my life where I, there would be a second of lucidity about my religion. And I feel like that, that was one of those moments there was a, a moment where I glimpsed the other side and the reality of who I was and the, the conflict with, you know, who I had to be met for a second. But then I turned away from it. You know, at the time, I, I'm like, oh, she just doesn't understand that the world is ending. And then, yeah, I, I left and I didn't ever see her again. So for the next 15 years, Amber preached. 
But that moment of lucidity in the classroom with Mrs. Mosin led to more moments of lucidity, these little cracks in the things Amber had always believed to be true. And then it all came to a head in China. She'd moved there to preach, even learning Mandarin. When you're speaking another language, you can hear yourself in a different way. Yeah. And even as I started to teach the things that I believed to them, I would think, this is weird. Like, this sounds weird. (laughs) This even sounds a little crazy. So although Amber had gone to China to convert people, slowly she became the one to change her mind. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, she just kept these doubts to herself. Because I I didn't want to give up eternal life. Like, and I really like my friends, especially. So for a long time, I, I hid it. But I'm not very good at hiding things. That's one problem I have with my personality. <laughs> so it was more uncomfortable for me to try to keep going in it when I didn't believe in it anymore. And I'd have to pretend that I did. Because being a Jehovah's Witness, you cannot be like a Sunday Christian. It involves your entire life. And so eventually, Amber admitted that she no longer believed. And in a nutshell, what ended up happening was that the church elders were called in and Amber was labeled an apostate and was stranded in China without money, without friends or family. Everyone that I knew just dropped me, like everyone in my life. So like my grandmother was someone I was very close to and I wrote her a letter explaining and she didn't write me back um, because people are terrified. People are taught that an apostate like me, someone who doubts the faith, is mentally diseased, um, is like a, a dog that's returned to its vomit. Like they use all this very like awful description. And so people, they think that it's about their loyalty to God. And so they just drop you. It doesn't matter who you are. But if you're your daughter, your son, your mother, your father, you just shun immediately. I moved to New York City. I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. I didn't have an education past high school. I didn't have much job experience. I didn't know anyone here. I didn't have any friends. But I did start to go to college. It's one of the first things I did. Amber started going to night school and working towards a college degree. And as soon as she was back in school... Mrs. Mosin popped back into my head. And I thought, oh, you know, I think she had such high hopes for me. I bet she would be happy to know that I made it out. Maybe there's some way I could be like, I saw that look in your eye all those years ago and just tell her that maybe I'm fulfilling the potential in some way that you saw in me. Now the question is, how do we get in touch with Mrs. Mosin? Amber couldn't even remember her first name. You know, it's funny. I It's like on the tip of my tongue. She had a very unusual first name, but I can't. I've Googled and I've tried and I can't. The sad thing is I could ask my mom, but my mom doesn't talk to me. My mom would remember. (laughs) So I'm not sure what to do without a full name. I tried looking up uh, Mosin in the phone book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Amazingly, in the area where Amber grew up, under Mosin, there's just, uh, there's only one listing. Should we try calling it? Let's try. We can try. Is this exciting? I feel nervous. I feel nervous. No. Oh, hello. <clears throat> is this Mrs. Mosin? It is. Oh, hi. Um, I just want to. I I want to make sure I have the right Mrs. Mosin. Did you teach at Bellmead School? Yes, I did. 
So Amber explains who she is. Um, so I'm one of your former students. I'm Amber Scora. And she explains why she's calling uh, that moment she still thinks about all these years later. Just this moment, there was a slight, like a subtle shift in the, your face. And for this very like, lucid moment, I, I, I sensed that you were sad, like that you felt that that was like, I was, it was like a shame. So long story short, I ended up moving to New York because when mm-hmm. you leave the Jehovah's Witnesses, they all shun you. So like no one in my family speaks to me anymore because of that. Really? Yeah. Not even your mom? No, she doesn't either, actually. Um, but the point of this whole story is that I was, I've, I thought back to you and I felt like now I would like to tell you that I escaped and that that moment when you looked at me that way, it actually, it, it did touch something in me. And it's something that came back to me now that I, you know, or, um, had left. It, it sort of stayed with you, did it? Yeah. And I also just wanted to say, like, as a teacher, I think you were probably like, like the teacher I remember most from my whole childhood. You really, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you, I felt like you really saw me, and I just wanted to tell you that, like, I'm going to college now. I take night school. So, what are you? What are you studying? I'm actually getting a degree in psychology because when I finish, I wanted to become like a therapist that helps people, sort of the same similar situation that I was in, to escape cults or like mind yeah, control and help yeah. them to deprogram. And can I tell you how proud I am of you? <laughs> Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I mean, you were you were so bright, and when when you said that you weren't going to university, I mean, I just I was shocked. <laughs> I couldn't understand it. You know, I thought, my God, why doesn't that girl go to university? But I couldn't say too much with your mother being there. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I could see it in your face <laughs> because you were you you just stood out as far as academics was concerned. But oh. I'm surprised it showed on my face. That's funny. Yeah, I don't know. I picked it up, but it's really nice to hear you say that now. I, I mean, I'm just so glad that you're doing it now. Don't ever let anybody deter you from whatever you want to become. You become. I'm so glad for you, really. You're making an old woman very happy. Oh, I'm so glad I reached you. <laughs> just absolutely amazing. It just made my day. Uh, Amber has uh, just been accepted into Harvard, and she'll be beginning virtual classes in the fall. Stevie? Yes? Kalila? Yeah. You know, this is probably before your day, but in 1979, Pink Floyd sang, Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. But here it is 2020, and we don't want those kids left alone. (laughs) Not at all. Sounds like you're, like, on all things considered. I feel like that's, like, a very, like, NPR, like, host intro. (laughs) I'm Jonathan Goldstein. Uh, So this next story is about Ava who also can't stop thinking about her first-grade teacher, uh, a woman named Miss Susie, who taught her 30 years ago in a small Connecticut town called Jewett City. We lived in a house that didn't have um, heat or hot water. Uh, We didn't have a car. We didn't have a phone. We didn't have a TV. Mm. I went to this Catholic school when I was young, and I distinctly remember this woman named Miss Susie. 
she was the person that first told me about New York City. And I, I live in New York City because she was very influential to me. I felt like she was radical. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe she just felt radical to me because she was kind and she felt different than the rest of the teachers. She never spoke to us like we were children. She just spoke to us like we were smaller people. Her making us listen to John Lennon's Imagine and giving us little candles so that we could sway back and forth like we were at our own concert. To, to think about some of the lyrics to Imagine, you know, about how Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine. Yeah, Imagine there's no religion. I mean... <laughs> that does seem kind of like in the context of a Catholic school with nuns walking around, that is kind of radical. During this time period, my my mom has been a, in recovery for 27 years now, but she didn't quit drinking until I was eight years old. Hmm. So I spent a majority of my time caring for my mom. There were times because I was really worried about her that I would actually sneak out of school and I would try to go home and make sure she was okay because she had she fell down the stairs one time and she would get hurt because she would be drunk. Um, and when I got to school, my first grade teacher, she would make me be able to forget about those things a little bit until really I got off the bus to get back home. And so I think that's why I was really drawn to this teacher because she made me feel safe and she made me feel like things were going to be okay. And that's kind of why I'm thinking about her right now, because there's this sense of safety that we're all looking for. So... Ava only had Miss Susie that one year for first grade, and then Miss Susie left the school. Mm-hmm. But then she actually came back seven years later to attend Ava's eighth grade graduation. And she was standing off to the right, and I we hadn't seen her since she left. Wow. And I remember, I remember looking at her, and I saw her, and she said, she mouthed, I'm so proud of you. And for somebody that went through a lot, at that time, it was really wonderful. Yeah. I keep a series of photographs in my vanity area, and I still have the, the class photograph of everybody. It's next to a picture of my grandmother, and it says Miss Susie, 1990. Like, I look at it every day. Huh. I just look elated. I look so happy in that photo. I wonder if she still thinks about us. And I wonder if she's still teaching. I would really like to talk to her again and thank her for, you know, inspiring me to letting me tell her that I'm really grateful for the strength to go someplace else besides Jewett City. So the the only problem really was finding Miss Susie, this woman uh, that Ava hadn't seen in decades. And added to that was, uh, you know, the ever-constant problem of someone in search of their first-grade teacher, which was that uh, Ava was not 100% sure of Miss Susie's first name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was at this point, Kalila, that I turned to you. Yes. To help in this search. Uh, it was very hard. <laughs> Dozens of Miss Susies across Connecticut were phoned. And then finally called the right person. She's still is a teacher. She's in upstate New York now. 
so I uh, connected Ava with Miss Susie, and uh, you know, it, at the beginning, it was a little awkward, as these things uh, can be. But uh, Miss Susie was uh, just very kind, just as she was all those years ago. I don't know that you know, but um, the year that I taught you, that was my very, very first year teaching ever. I I was twenty two, so. Our first day of school together wasn't just your first day of first grade. It was my first day of first grade (laughs) entirely. (laughs) I was just out of college, and um, I was younger than you are now. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. I mean, it seemed you were unlike any of the rest of the teachers that I remember from that area. But the other part was, so I don't, obviously, I don't think that you would know this, but my mom got sober when I was eight. So when I was six, I was in your class and she was still drinking. I did know that. I was told that by uh, um, adults um, in the building, but I don't think that I realized how much you knew. So after your class, (laughs) sorry. No, no, it's okay. The year that I had with you was really, it was really wonderful because I was so engaged and I wasn't really worried about my mom. I didn't know if you knew, like, of course, like, my mom would show up sometimes to pick me up and I know she would be drunk and she would be drunk driving. (sighs) From that time on, I always, like, I worried about her. I worried about her a lot, but I do remember, like, first grade that class to me was very freeing because I wasn't really worried that much it was important for me to to let you know that I thought of that time period as like the last time that I really like I didn't worry I I was allowed to be a kid I thank you so much for sharing that with me um you know, I, I I say that I knew, but it was it was kind of a just in passing. It wasn't a. Um, I feel all the more blessed to have been a part of that and to have made it a place, you know, where you didn't have to worry, where you got to be a child, because that's what you were. You you know, you were just a sweet little girl. The one thing I remember about your mom, because I do have a vague picture of her in my ha- head, was that she let me know that you were a very good reader and that you had (laughs) taught yourself how to read. And it was like her way of letting me know to make sure that I challenged you or to, you know, maybe she was afraid you would be shy or quiet and not, you know, not have your true colors come out. But that is really the one thing I remember her saying to me. And I, I, I held on to that. I still actually have a pair of earrings that you made. At one point you were like <gasps> making jewelry and you were, we would do those like church basement yard yeah. sale things and oh they don't God. have hooks on them anymore, but I've always kept them. Um, absolutely. Just, I have no words for that, that, that you still have them. That, that really, oh my gosh. Oh, you're, you're, you're making me speechless. That year was so special to me. I, the very last day of school, um, 
we all walked out the the one main door, and um, the bus came and picked everybody up. You know, all the kids spilled out the windows and are waving goodbye. And I ran back into the school, and I shut myself in a stall, and I cried and cried and cried. And the third grade teacher at the time came looking for me, and she said, what's wrong? What's what's the matter? And I remember saying to her, I said, they left. They left. And it will never be this year again. I'll never have this again. I just knew that it would never be so pure. And um, I, I, I'm just glad that we connected, that, that you were in my class, that I did get that job, that there wasn't some other version of first grade for you or some other version of a career for me. So It's sometimes overwhelming when you think that you're the only person that's thought of the other. You know, um, I, I just assumed that I was carrying all this stuff with me for this many years without being considered, but being remembered that age also feels really nice. It's really satisfying in a way that nothing has ever felt before to, uh, to, to be able to talk with, with, uh, someone I knew when they were such a little girl and, and I was such a young woman. I mean, we were, we were both, we were both just newbies. We were both fresh in a way. (laughs) Do you remember Julie Lordy and Paul Wisniewski? I do. Yes, I yes. do absolutely remember those names. So do you know they're married now? No, because she used I wouldn't. to chase them around the schoolyard. She had a really good crush on him in first grade, and we all knew it. But he thought he was going to be a John? Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Worried and well, you know? How about yourself? Worried and well, I guess. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, can I, uh, can I ask you to, uh, to play son in an empty room? Sure, I'd be glad to. Yeah? When's the, when's the last time you played it? Hmm. I think, uh, it would have been on that tour in the Midwest where I saw where we saw you. Oh, really? So I think it. Yeah, I think it would have been in Fargo. Actually, would have been the last time I played it. So I'll just put the phone down and then okay. uh, we'll see uh, see how this works. Now that the furniture's returning to its goodwill home. Dishes in last week's papers, rumors and elections, crosswords on unending war. Black in our fingers, smear their prints on every door pulled shut. Now that the last month's rent is scheming with the damage deposit, take this moment to decide. 
If we meant it, if we tried Or felt around for far too much From things that accidentally touched The hands that we nearly hold with pennies for the GST Shoulders we lean our shoulders into on the subway, mutter an apology. The shins that we kick beneath the table, that reflexive cry. The faces we meet, one awkward beat, too long and terrified. Know the things we need to say. Said already anyway By parallelograms of light Walls that we repainted white Sun in an empty room 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 Take eight minutes and divide By ninety million lonely miles And watch a shadow cross the floor We don't live here anymore